We're back again with uh, Dr. Macaulay. I, I like saying that. It's a very nice... I, I, I know. It sounds I, nice. I like it. I can see why you, why you went to Scotland to university to get that <laughs> name said in, in its true fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sounds great. Uh, welcome back uh, to the Vet Career Success Show. Uh, I've missed you since you were last on. I enjoyed our last show, so it's great to have you back. I think the, I think this is this, we're going to have some interesting conversations. So... Um, I think you've got you've you've had some interesting conversations this week about uh, about life and some reflections. Uh, so why don't you kick off? Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me back. I know. And as you were saying that, I had oh, what is the Eminem song? It's like welcome back, back again. I was like, oh my gosh, this is in my head now. Look who's back? But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am back. Yes, it's good to be back. back. <laughs> but <laughs> actually, oh, you yeah, kind of back. are Eminem, aren't you? You're like I am. I am. I actually, I do have, <laughs> I do have a social media handle that is the Eminem. It was the real Eminem, but somebody had taken that already, so I couldn't, couldn't claim it. Anyway, you swear a lot less, and frankly, I think you're probably much better company. <laughs> so let's go with that. I definitely swear a lot less than Eminem, thankfully. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, other words come out. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's good to be back. And um, before we were recording, like uh, I was talking about, I had a conversation with my one of my mentees, actually, I'm my only mentee um, right now. And we got onto the topic of how do we balance the expectations and the realities of being a new grad veterinarian or just being a veterinarian in general. And how like vet school, it cannot prepare you perfectly for the medicine side of things. Like early on, someone told me, you will not graduate as a good vet. Like you just won't. You will graduate with the necessary skills necessary to survive. After that point is when you'll be growing. And so I was like, okay, that's what I have in my mind for the medicine side of things. But after going through vet school, I now have a whole new appreciation for what it means to be practicing and what those four or five years in vet school are really for in that you can't just focus on the medicine. You absolutely cannot because if you go through those four or five years with blinders on saying, I just have to get the grades, I just have to get to the next exam, to the next semester, to the next year, you literally are putting those blinders on and saying, oh, in four or five years, that's when I'll be able to have relationships. That's when I'll be able to take better care of myself. When in fact, you're just practicing this terrible mindset um, for yourself. So when you graduate and you're starting the job as a new grad vet and you're suddenly like, oh, now is when I have time for relationships, but I haven't been practicing that for four years. I don't know how to have a healthy relationship, how to balance or have a symbiosis between my work and my life. I don't know how to take care of myself properly because I haven't been for the past four or five years. So how am and now trying to do learn all of that and be a new grad vet? I feel like that's where a lot of disparity is happening between the expectations and the realities. And so we got into a really good conversation about this. And my mentee, honestly, like I feel like he's years beyond everybody else that's in vet school because he had some good um, feedback and insight on it and how he's taking care of himself now. Um, But that's just something that I'm like, oh, my gosh, this this is an area where we can do so much better uh, for preparing veterinary students because you have five years to mess up and get better. Might as well do it in vet school rather than when you graduated. But that is that's the conversation that I had recently. And I, I put out an episode just with my own feedback and my own thoughts as the new grad and what I've gone through. But 
I want I want more feedback on this. I want to open this conversation up, crack that egg a bit more. All right. What for first question, what was your split when you were at university? I'm curious about that. And I'm curious about what it's like at vet school now, because I think not only was I two decades before you, uh, but I was, I think, within a cohort of people who probably thought a little bit differently about uh, how seriously they took life in general. Uh, and and that's not saying it was that it was better, but it was, you know, or, or that we fared better. But I'm curious about it, it changes, generational shifts. And of course, you know, like I, I don't want to say that at Glasgow, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a drinking school with a veterinary problem, but that's not far <laughs> off being true. Uh, I feel like it's maybe similar, um, but my I feel like all my Glaswegian friends are probably being like, what are you saying about us right now? No, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, so like split of studies versus other yeah. things in life. Like how, how much pressure is there to not have that social or to, you know, have less the social side? Like what, what, what pressure is there? Or even what pressure is there to continue to try to be the best at something? So you're always in that almost competitive state, which isn't mm-hmm. a healthy, you know, has no. its place, but it's not a healthy mindset to be in because you're, where's your support if everybody's, you know, if you're competing, you're effectively, everybody's your enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm, I'm curious about that sort of nuance in there as well. Like, is, give me your, give me your insight. Yeah, so the setup that I had as a first-year veterinary student, first off, I was in the graduate entry program, which the schools did not have back in your day. And so I was already coming in with four years of undergraduate studies, and I had my I was already kind of set in how I wanted to balance work and life and That's um, huge. the I kind of pressure. Yeah. yeah. So I'd already yeah. kind of like granted my study methods had to change for vet school. This It's just a different material to different culture. Like everything was different. But I had had a general idea of what it was going to take to get through the the basic classes um, right. after my four years. And I think In- that this is a big advantage that U.S. students have over U.K. because there's from what I see, there's a maturity in the vet students and, and I'm, I'm constantly blown away. I was just doing work with the VBA, VBMA uh, and doing their working their you know, their conference, doing, doing their event, just blown away by the, you know, the maturity and the way these guys are handling themselves. Um, I think about me at that stage in my career and, you know, really I, I, I would not have been a safe pair of hands for that at all. Um, <laughs> and I think there's something of the, you're, you've, you've gotten a little bit of living done at university and perhaps the craziness out of your system. And now you're playing for keeps mm. within your veterinary degree. That, that seems to be a big advantage. I noticed that in the veterinary graduates that are coming out of school in the US a bit as well. Mm. There's just that added level of maturity, which is maybe counterbalanced by the horrendous debt that goes along with that. Um, perhaps speak to that <laughs> yeah, as well. Um, but sorry to interrupt you. No, that's good. You brought up a really good point, and that is something that I honestly noticed my first year because when I started vet school, I was basically looking at the kids that were coming out of the five-year program. They were graduating the same age that I was going into vet school. So certainly, I had done four years of living. I had been managing finances. I had been, um, I lived out away from my, my home, um, for a good period of time before. And I actually did a period, like I graduated early enough that I was able to do seven months of work 
like I worked <laughs> as a veterinary assistant um, in a completely different state from where I had grown up for before I even went to vet school. So I had practiced that life part of things. Yeah. And so my my colleagues, granted, the GEP course was pretty separate from the five-year course for my first year. So we really didn't see much of these guys um, that were in the five-year, but we definitely saw there was a difference in how, like for all of us, we were like, it is nine o'clock. We are going to bed. Goodbye. Uh, meanwhile, those kids are staying up till 2 a.m. partying and drinking, which no, it's no nothing bad to say on them. They all graduated as fantastic veterinarians. They just had to get some of the living done <laughs> in uh, in those first couple of years. They had to go through the same processes that my co cohort had already gone through in the past four years. So a little bit of disparity there, but I think most of the pressures that happened or that occurred on for myself in that first year came from within that cohort of the 30 to 40 of us that there were that had already done a degree of some sort. So we, because we basically did everything together, because that's, that's all we had was ourselves. And so the pressures to get good grades and everything. This is where something I feel is very different between the US and the UK. And especially at least in my my year, we had this mindset where when grades come at came out, no one talked about them. No one cared to share it. We never like nobody that I know of went up to their friends and was like, "Hey, what do you get on that exam? Like no one did. We I all just kind of a bit of paper where everybody could just see. No, yeah, I think we didn't have that. <laughs> we did not have that. Um, we basically crashed the system every single time. We had to look at grades because we're all like, "It's eleven o'clock, go!" <laughs> like on our phones. But we would all like disperse and look at grades, and then we wouldn't ask what the grade was. We literally would be like, "Hey, are you okay? How'd you like? Do you oh, need did, to go get, grab a drink, a go for a run?" Was yeah. there an A face, a B face, a C face, a, and so on? Like, could you no, could you tell? No, not really. No, <laughs> it was. Um, there was definitely a. I'm happy with the grade that I got, and I'm just happy to move on. And then there was also the a uh, past. Who cares? Kind of face. <laughs> so that was my um, face. Yeah, and that's honestly most of us. And for a lot of us, actually, we had to we had to retrain our brains at that point because the UK system was different than the US system. So the grade that I got for like was considered a good grade in the UK would have been like atrocious in the US. But that's just the way that the scale worked. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the differences that I had to go through. And also, I know in the US, there can be a lot more of like a dog eat dog kind of mentality that happens where if like people are worried about their rank, honestly, I never even knew what my class rank was the entire four years I was in vet school could have cared less, honestly, and still graduated as a veterinarian working in a wonderful job with fantastic clients and mentorships. So you be the judge of what rank does. Uh, um, oh, oh, I amen to that. Amen unless to you're, that. unless you're going into like an internship and they need the number, but even then, like, why do we need it? Why do we need rank? Every, all, all of, all of the most successful or, uh, no, no, not all of them. The everybody I know who's really successful uh, also was at the opposite end of the class to who you might think, and 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 successful. When I I use the word successful, I mean and happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now that's a huge generalization, but there, there there was that old phrase that said that you know the the A students will go into academia, the B students. Um, 
will go into practice and the C students will give everybody else jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before and I fully support that because again, it goes back to like, what is that, that mentality that you have um, going through vet school and how you deal with other people, like the relationship side of mm -hmm. veterinary medicine, which we seem to be for the past, like however long it's been, we've been really bad about focusing on, to be fair. We're disdainful of it. We're, we're not just, you know, we're not just not doing it. We're actively disdainful of it. You know, if you, if you, uh, you know, this, this is kind of what I do for a living. Like I, but you know, I'm I'm teaching people. Oftentimes, when when I'm talking to graduates, or you know, a graduate learns of what we do, they, they fall into one of two categories. The ones that you know, when you when you get graduates and they're first coming out, they are at the start of the Dunning Kruger effect curve. You remember that from? Oh yeah, good old Dunning Kruger. Dunning if you guys Kruger. don't know what that is, go look it up. Check it out. It's my, my third favorite effect. Uh, the other two we can cover another time. But we start completely unconsciously incompetent, not knowing what we don't know. And so if you speak to a graduate or you offer undergraduate courses in professional skills, as, as I'll call them, I'm not calling them non-clinical anymore because it's just a turnoff for graduates. So we, I'm calling them professional skills. But if you talk to those guys about those skills, it's just not that exciting because they, they don't know how important these skills are. And then when graduates get to two or three years out, they think they already know more than, you know, they think they don't need to know that anymore and they've got it covered. And, and well, if that's the case, why is everybody burning out so much? And actually that's, that is a much bigger question. And, and I, I actually, I won't pin that entirely on the lack of professional skills because I think there is, there, there are some, very large systemic problems within veterinary medicine that until we address, until we stop talking about just doing mental health, resilience building, blah, 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 that is only going to put off the inevitable. That is basically our ship is sinking and now we're in a life raft, but we're still in an ocean without sight of land and we have only a certain amount of water and food on this, this life raft and the next big wave that comes along, we're going to get tossed around. That's almost a perfect analogy. We have to get our ship to dock and repair it before the ship sinks. And what we're trying to do is put everyone in life rafts without attending to the main vessel, the ship. Uh, and that ship is veterinary medicine systemically the way that we have. We have, ac uh, th this links to your original point and um, we don't really know how much we need to know before we get in practice. And if you go into practice without that, uh, that life skill set uh, of not taking yourself too seriously, of being able to switch off from veterinary medicine, and when you have when you have trained yourself so intensely to switch on to veterinary medicine for fourteen hours of every day for five years, no wonder you're having a little hard time switching off. Yeah, right no there. Wonder, right. So 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 so. But guess what? You practice switching off, and you will untrain that to a certain extent, and that is now healthy. But that's so alien in our our drive for this this A grade must pass. Mm -hmm. We will fail if you know if we fail an exam, then the train tracks potentially stop. That's that was our fear at vet school. It was never true because. They'll always take your money for another year and you'll, yep. you'll get another crack at it, right? <laughs> like very few people don't make it through who want to make, make it through. But we we feared that and we were driven. And because 
probably our parents drove us pretty hard. Like, who, who are we trying really to let down here? Us or our, or our parents' image of ourselves? There's another thing. But, but then we get into life. And of course, it's not about passing exams anymore. It's about balancing up all the myriad complicated inputs that go to making a case work or not. So it's no longer about recognizing the disease and then getting your gold star. It's about, okay, we've recognized it. That's the start line. Now, what do we do? And now money and emotions and physical ability and cognitive ability and timing and whether somebody has cornflakes for breakfast or not, and they're hangry and you're hangry and all of these things suddenly get in the way. And it's, it's a very, it's, it's an uncertain you know, navigational chart. You don't have a chart anymore. Um, mm-hmm. unless, unless you've played the contact sport of life, which is working out how people work and their brains work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, something else you said before we came on board and that was, you know, there's just the volume of work coming in. You know, you, I don't know if you swim more. I don't I, like, but you know, I used to swim a lot as a kid and then I stopped maybe for 10, 15 years. I didn't, didn't go in a pool, um, hardly any time through university, through the first, maybe, I don't know, maybe five years of my career, maybe a little bit before that. And then I decided I was going to do triathlon and I got back in the pool and I did what all alpha guys do is I thought I was as good as swimming. I'm just going to charge up and down the pool here and I'm just going to be amazing. So I got in the pool and I charged up and down. I did one length full pelt. There's another length full pelt. And I swear to God, I nearly drowned. (laughs) I nearly coughed along, puked in the pool. And I I thought I was going to die of a heart attack. And I thought, what happened? And And it wasn't I suddenly gotten unfit or out of shape. I just, my technique was awful. And you're fighting against resistance. And, 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 and it's the same with any form of practice that if if you suck at a golf swing or you suck at chucking a tennis ball in the air or you suck at um, whatever sport or thing you're trying to get good at and you just practice that skill badly, you're just going to get better at sucking. And I think when you're, you know, your experience, you know, you've, you've had a very good onboarding. You've got a, a team that care about you and are, are doing their very best, but there isn't, there is a, a tsunami of work entering most practices at the minute. And, and we should not be under any illusion here that we, we had problems beforehand. We weren't very good at support or onboarding or looking out for people beforehand, but with the increased volume of traffic that's come our way, against the backdrop of increasing burnout um, and teams that were under-resourced in the first instance, it's only going to get worse. And so I think the systemic issue is this, not just desire, but it's almost this pathological need to feel like we we are everything to everyone and and we can't say no to anybody. And I, I genuinely wonder how many practices right now are saying yes to people who are really bad clients just because they showed up and how many of our really good clients are not getting spots and are, and they're getting grumpy with us. So you've got the people who shouldn't be there who are grumpy with you because they don't want to pay your bills and they make you feel crap about being vet that we're pandering to. And the people that should be there are grumpy with us because they can't get in because we're full. Mm-hmm. And you think this is actually, this isn't a human resource problem at all. This is a marketing problem. Mm-hmm we got to choose our clients better and then and then we got to build our services around them i think if we do that 
and then we have not the lifeboat, but then we have the day class on the deck on the on the on the ship deck. We don't have to toss people overboard at that point because we've got time to think, we've got time to train. But there's there's no space in the system for that just now. I think we've got to create breathing space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I I just don't know how we're going to do that, especially in the light of COVID, where. Like we're just inundated with people who are staring at their pets all day. So they're actually requesting to come to the vet more frequently than they ever did before. So that causes a lot more issues and headaches that way. But there are definitely clients that I wish I could fire. They're there. Well, (laughs) do you know what? And and you may not, you may not. And I tell you what, like, I think there's, we all feel there's clients like that, but I think we have to fire more of them. You know, I think that the, the way that we, uh, I think the way that we get around this problem is that we become much more intentional about everything because we've operated from a position of scarcity. Like I'll never get, you know, if I have to say yes to every client, because if I don't, I'll run out of clients or I have to offer that. run out of cloud clients. (laughs) No, so, but there's, but practices probably need to not register new clients if they're bad clients. We need better selection systems, better marketing, better alignment. I think, I think this for me, for what I'm looking at this to me is is the mission for the next five years. Mm-hmm. You know, sort out our client databases. I wonder how many clients that you see in a day are genuinely lovely people who really love your services, who want to do the blood work, who want to do the wellness profile, and how many of them give you the look like you're a highway robber, and they don't want to do the bloods, and they just want the cheapest service, and they don't want to do the dental. I'm kind of at the point of thinking, well, if I recommend a dental to a client and they don't do it and they book in for a vaccine next year, of telling them not to come in, that we're they're not going to be our client unless they do the actions needed to alleviate pet pain, mm-hmm. which is kind of it's a bit scary to think. I know about that. that's a little bit um, non kosher there talking about. Because then you're also like, okay, am I denying the basic medical services to this to this client, or do we just have a high standard of clientele that we want to bring in and have in our community? Now that is a great discussion to have. And Ooh, I, <laughs> next time. Yeah, maybe. Well, what? Let let's. Maybe this is a TBC. I think it might have to be because I feel like we've touched on like we haven't even closed out our first topic. Okay, let's um, close out the first topic. Let's so, do that. Yeah, and closing out, I feel like closing out the first topic, I never actually answered your initial question. I just kind of like bunny hop down this trail. All right, so, let's, let's answer that and then let's close it out. Okay, so in answering your, your first question of how did I balance, um, actually balance the work and the life, I will tell you that my first two years, I did it poorly. So this what is what poorly I- look like? Uh, poorly look like having a high level anxiety, not sleeping, um, taking on too many things and just not really being and just kind of like waiting for the next day and being like, okay, literally, if I can get to the next 24 hours, it'll be okay. So <laughs> how do you go from that to now being in practice, loving what I'm doing, um, just having absolutely being on fire for helping veterinary students? Like, how do you go from the one extreme to the other? Um, <laughs> and that a lot of it came down to just realizing like, what was I doing? Was it absolutely necessary? And also going, you know what? These are, this is the time to practice this. This is the time to figure out what my breaking point is to figure out how far I can push myself and not just how far, but how to best push myself so that I can grow that comfort bubble. Um, because of course, 
you have the comfort bubble and then you have to get outside of it. But anyway, you have a thought there on your face I, and I can see no, it. No, I, I do. I want to know how you pushed yourself to that point and how did you know you're at that point? And then I want to know some of the ways that you found of edging yourself out of the comfort bubble in a way that's safe. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, I feel like initially I didn't know that I was at that breaking point or a little bit past that breaking point. I just kind of existed in this state. And then honestly, there wasn't even a day where I was like, oh my gosh, I figured it out. It was just over a period of time, I started to realize, you know what? I'm not having that level of anxiety anymore. You know what? I'm actually getting good amounts of sleep. And part of that was changing my living scenario. Um, So it was just, I needed to not be where I was initially. But again, that comes back to learning how to better care for myself. So I had to, I kind of focused in, I was like, okay, what are the basic needs of a human? Let's focus on that. (laughs) Let's focus on um, having a quiet, happy sleeping space. Um, Let's have a sleeping space that's separate from your study space. That was huge Um, Mm -hmm. because I basically lived in a flat that had like six rooms. Um, We weren't even all vet students. We had one kitchen and the walls were paper thin. So the person who was on the other side of the wall for me was up at 3 a.m. screaming at his computer. And so I was not sleeping um, at that time, which was suboptimal. So um, moving out of that scenario, moving to a place and figuring out that I'm not a city person. I did better living in the country, Um, having access to where I could go walking and actually like I would go up into the braids and I would just sit there. I would just sit there and look at the sky, at the city line. And that's actually a path that like walking up that hill and going and sitting there. That's something that I can walk myself through is more of like a mindfulness type of thing where if I am having like a stressful day or whatever, or even at night when I'm just like thinking about all my cases now, I can literally be like, no, we're not doing this. And I can, I can walk myself through that path all the way up to the hill. And I usually fall asleep before I get there. So (laughs) it works well, but I, yeah, yeah. I went back to what are the basic needs of a human and when I was able to to fulfill those, I then I'm now realizing that I basically fulfilled the five ways of well-being, um, which it's something that the NHS has put out if you're in the U.S., um, where it literally was like, OK, how are you taking care of yourself as a human? And if you're fulfilling these five basic needs, then you're at a good start. And so for me, it meant I, I got involved in things that were outside of veterinary medicine. I made sure I fulfilled those other areas of my life so that even though most of the time they had to listen to me talk about vet med, they would remind me, hey, stop talking about vet med. <laughs> what were your, can, you, can you remember, recall, or share what the five needs that you worked on were? <laughs> I'm going to Google them right now because I don't remember all of them. Here we go. Um, but I know, so the first one here is to, uh, if I click on the link, that'll I'll tell help you what, me. I ask because we talk about six needs within the the Thrive community in VEDEX. And that's, we sort of built it around these core need areas. So, and I'll, I'll, I'll bet they're based somewhat loosely off of Maslow's pyramid of needs as well. Yeah. Um, oh, here they are. Yeah. So making sure I have them all. Um, but the first one is to connect. So making sure you stay in contact with your friends and your family, yep. having those people that are, if you're in vet med, have people that are outside of vet med. So I got involved in like a youth youth organization. And so that I was helping um, these people that came from different backgrounds. And so it just took me away and I had to structure my time to be like, you know what? 
I need to step away from veterinary medicine. I need to take care of other people, which that's another one is giving to others, whether that's with um, volunteering or just building social networks or just doing something to help another person. So like pouring out of your cup is what will fill in your cup in a way. Um, And then another one is to um, keep learning. So not just learning veterinary medicine things, but trying something new. So for myself, I got involved in vaulting, which I, I was honestly just there to help. And it was part of the, the youth organization. But I learned about vaulting and I um, started a podcast. <laughs> so the, those are different ways that I kept learning outside of veterinary medicine. Um, and, and, and connecting through your podcast yeah, as well. and connecting. So it kind of fulfilled other areas. I got to meet awesome humans like you. Occasional wobbles along the way. Occasional wobbles, yeah. And then the other one is be active. So for myself, I honestly got into running a lot more. I started just with like a, a 5K in the, before I was before vet school, I was starting to run some 5Ks, but then in vet school, I did a 10K and then I did a half marathon and then I did another half marathon and running just became the thing that I would do. Um, I would purposely either go for a walk up that hill or I'd go running around Edinburgh or I somehow got involved in rugby and um, got uh, bruises all over my body from that. But it was good. It was good to just kind of like hit something at the end of the day. Um, but the, the last one in the five ways of well-being is taking notice. And that was something that was huge for me. And again, it's practicing that mindfulness, which for me, it literally meant I knew I had an, if I had an hour in my studies or not knew I had an hour, but I would change the language to be, I am prioritizing this hour to, for my mental health. Um, not, I don't have time to go for a walk. I don't have time to go for a run. I don't have time to cook myself a meal. It was, I am going to prioritize going for a walk. I'm going to prioritize going for a run cooking myself a meal, watching this TV show with a cup of tea, like all of this, just changing the language. Um, Yeah. So you know what I love about that? Every one of us knows that that's possible because every one of us will have been in the situation where we were stressed out about something heaps. Think of an exam, completely stressed about something. And then actually we got to the point of we, we got past caring about it. It became, you're like, it's definitely blown. It's gone. And as soon as you accepted that, the pressure, it just disappeared. And then invariably, when I was in that mindset, what, what actually eventuated was it was okay. Might not have been my best exam, but it was okay. And I needn't have expended all that energy. I was, I was, I was this, we can all switch gear and, and make that mental shift. I was observing in my, my daughter yesterday, we were having a conversation and she was worried about something or she was, you know, she was getting upset about something. I said, listen, that thing that you're worrying about, it's it's probably not going to happen. So this worry is you're paying a tax on a future that's probably not going to happen. It doesn't, it doesn't stop you worrying, but it does at least make you go, oh, hang on. There's my pattern interrupt. These things are great. They're great. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. So, I mean, it just kind of goes back into that whole thing. It's like, okay, how are we, like, how can we help other students who are in my kind of situation where, I mean, if I continue down that road, I probably would have burnt out pretty easily. But because I, I recognized those things and knew, basically, I trialed and errored to figure out what worked best for me. And I used those four years in vet school so that here I am now in practice and 
I prioritize getting out on time. I prioritize going for a run and getting involved in things outside of veterinary medicine because I want to have longevity in this career. And not only that, but I want to help other students recognize this early on so that they too can actually have not just success, but thrive in this veterinary profession. So perhaps the message is in our resolution point for today's conversation is that it's okay to prioritize getting a slightly lower grade or spending slightly less time in the books. And as, as long as the things you're prioritizing are things that meet your human needs. And um, maybe a nice place to just wind up is there's a very good article released by Harvard Business Review this week on um, burnout. Some very interesting figures and research in there. But the, the sort of six things that are responsible for burnout being the, you know, the, the chronic physical or emotional state of just, you know, you're done, you're just exhausted. Um, it's, it's completely recoverable. But the sort of six pillars were unsustained workload, uh, feeling like you didn't have control over things, insufficient reward, whatever reward means to you, uh, a lack of community and support, a lack of sense of fairness or justice, and alignment of skills and values to what you're actually doing. So it's really not hard to see why young vets burn out. The skills aren't there. The job selection isn't great, so values are unaligned. You're being asked to do things by clients that actually probably mess with your sense of justice. You're maybe relocating to a different part of the country without that network that you have. Um, you may look at those around you and feel like you don't get rewarded as much in veterinary medicine. And if you're not able to see the good and have the joy in the relationships, then that can be a hard place. And of course, you probably don't feel like you've got much control. I don't have time. Just, just all those language elements you're using and and we've got the systemic issue of an unsustainable workload going on. But in amongst all of that are some really rich, I think, lessons that allow you to, when you know what burnout looks like and what the risk factors are, you know, those, those five lessons you've described there and, and the way that you've very, I think it's about being intentional. For me, that's what's coming out of this conversation and a lot of my thoughts in the last 12 months you were careful, i.e. you were intentional about where you went to work. You actually interviewed many places and had the courage to do that. And you're also being intentional with your thoughts. And the thoughts, I'm sure, still come to you. The challenges still come to you, the, the negative occasional moments, the stress, the worry. But you're being intentional about telling yourself a different story or forcing your mind to go on that walk so you do fall asleep before you get to that wonderful view over Edinburgh. Uh, it's great maturity. And maybe that circles back to the last part, which is, you know, it's, um, I think there is an advantage of having, maybe getting into that little bit more debt can pay dividends over time if you bring that level of maturity to it. So, um, Dr. McCauley, it's always wonderful to chat and, um, I'm, I'm thrilled that, you know, although you're, you're in a, and I think everyone in the profession is in a tough spot with the encumbrances we, we face with with the systems and the way we're doing veterinary medicine at the minute, it also feels like the darkest bit of this is behind us. And I love the conversation we've had today. Um, I think there is a lot to, to share out there amongst folks. And um, you're being a very good example of 
how to do it right. So well done, you. <laughs> Keep it's cracking trial, on. It's the trial and error. I mean, this is, I'm like kind of amazed that things have still kept going the way that they're going. I'm like, when's the ball going to drop? But um, no, I mean, I'm happy to keep making podcast episodes and sharing with people what's actually happening as a new grad. Not just all the light and fluffy things, but the not so great stuff. But I know it. Every time I have a conversation with you, I'm like, man, I just feel like I'm understanding things a lot better. <laughs> just having the opportunity to brain dump stuff and being like someone else who kind of gets this this random bunny hopping trail of, of thinking. Um, so I'm glad we're doing another episode like this in the future, which when can people expect to hear more? Loving these conversations. Um, if you're a game, I'm game to try and do this on a kind of monthly basis. And, you know, let's 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 hear what it's like from the trenches from your perspective and and see if we can sprinkle some shared wisdom for for the students that are out there and anybody else because i think it's actually pretty valuable for a much wider audience absolutely i know these are these are fun conversations to have and i think we're talking about some things that have otherwise been kind of kept in the dark um for what life as a new grad is like so yeah absolutely looking forward to future episodes here but thanks for having me on once again my pleasure entirely. Thank you very much, Dr. Ryan McCauley.